Due to some health-related issues, we are on a temporary hiatus for new episodes, so please enjoy this re-release of episode 48 with Scott Hawkins. I thought this episode was really important for people to listen to because it's foundational to understanding a lot of good techniques and practices for getting lots of organizational pieces of data mesh right. You know, how do you work with the you know, exec level sponsors to rearrange people's OKRs and KPIs so they can actually focus on this? How do you enable a team? How do you get them up to speed so they can actually put out useful and usable data products? A lot of this information is just very, very helpful, and I think you'll learn a lot from it. A written transcript of this episode is provided by Starburst. For more information, you can see the show notes. Welcome to Data Mesh Radio with your host, Scott Hurlman, sponsored by Starburst. This is Adrian Estala, VP and Field CDO at Starburst and host of Data Mesh TV. Starburst is the leading contributor to Trino, the open source project, and the Data Mesh for Dummies book that I co-wrote with Colleen Tarto and Andy Mont. To claim your free book, head over to starburst.io. Data Mesh Radio is provided as a free community resource by Data Mesh Understanding. It is produced and hosted by me, Scott Hurlman. I started this podcast as a place for practitioners to get useful information about Data Mesh, and we're at over 200 episodes. I've now left Data Stacks, you know, thanks for all their help in founding things, but I've left to start Data Mesh Understanding, which is also helping practitioners to get to the information needed to do Data Mesh well. We have free implementer introductions and roundtable programs, in addition to the more advanced yet affordable offerings. So please do get in touch if you're looking for more information on how to do, how to approach Data Mesh. Just check datameshunderstanding.com for more info. There's also a helpful organization of past Data Mesh radio episodes there if you want to dig into specific topics rather than digging through 200 different episodes. So with that, let's hit the funky intro music and listen to what you'll hear about in this interview episode. Bottom line up front, what are you going to hear about and learn about in this episode? I interviewed the other Scott H. in the data mesh community, Scott Hawkins, principal data architect at ITV. I asked Scott what he wanted to talk about when he said organizational challenges and, and boy did he deliver. I'll start with the most important bit to me first as Scott really crystallized a few things on driving buy-in for me. There are three good ways to drive buy-in for the domain teams. First, at the senior level. So it trickles down as the management for the team is bought in. They can help to redirect the prioritization. Number two, via a strong carrot. Solve a problem for them as kind of a quid pro quo, mutually beneficial solution type of thing. You're saying, hey, if you give us this data, we're going to help you execute on X or Y or Z. Trying to solve a sort of helpful but unrelated problem will drive lower buy-in. And number three, I think this is one that's really going to be something that 
people are should be leveraging, which was work on realigning the team KPIs slash OKRs with the senior leaders to actually realign those incentives. Kind of feels obvious after it was stated because we've been talking about aligning incentives, but this was absolutely the first time I've heard it messaged anywhere near this clearly. It, it really is about making it so that the teams know that this matters and not just by going to them and telling them it matters. You go and, and you get that exec level buy-in so you can realign these incentives and you make it, you put it, you, you put the proof out there that this matters and that this matters to the organization. There are a lot of other useful nuggets too. Scott views data mesh as a mechanism for change. And I agree. Your company culture and your understanding of said culture are crucial to establishing data mesh well, driving that buy-in. You need to ask yourself, what challenges does data mesh actually address and hopefully solve for us? How will it impact the business, not just our tech stack and things like that? And what does it change? Your organization might not be ready for data mesh or a specific domain might not be ready, and that's okay. What is the organization or domain really ready to take on? ITV was in a distributed but kind of cohesive environment. Scott mentioned there were five different departments all managing content, but all had totally, well, all had slightly different definitions of what content really meant. So they were all trying to work together somewhat, but it, it really wasn't working all that well. As they moved forward with their data mesh implementation, they found a quote-unquote good enough solution via a global ID. It's not perfect. There might be some overlap, such as one person might have a different global ID for their online subscription versus their broadcast subscription. And ITV is a broadcaster in uh, the UK. But you know, with this global ID, it is far better than what they were doing. And, and it allows for interoperability joins and, and joins across the data. This is a big improvement. I think this is, again, a don't let perfect be the enemy of good or done, right? Is the global ID absolutely perfect? Can it identify one person, you know, no matter what, and that person only has one ID? No. But is that really the worst thing that could happen? No. So use it and move forward. One thing working for ITV is deploying a team in a box to help domains move forward, similar to kind of an internal consulting team that drops in to help them kind of move forward. Each situation is different, so each quote-unquote box that they are given is different. But it means domains don't feel this new wave of responsibilities without help and guidance. The team in a box is the answer to what is the most effective way to get to a viable data product? You know, you may want your teams to fully discover the way that they would uh, put out their own data products and everything becomes this very unique picture. But there are a couple of reasons why this works. One, again, is that the teams don't feel like they're being asked to do a bunch of things without the resourcing. And the second is that it helps ITV to really build common best practices internally because there's a lot of teams that are there there are these teams in a box that are involved with a lot of different domains and getting them to kind of 
see things in the same way. So there's that cohesiveness. Coming to the de- table with defaults has also really helped. You know, what what is a, a kind of quote unquote standard data product look like? On the driving buy-in, Scott recommends working with the domain managers to generate a viable carrot for the entire team. Explain to those leaders why it matters. Work with the leaders to revamp the KPIs, as mentioned earlier, if the KPIs are getting in the way of delivering a good data product. This is why that exact level buy-in is so crucial. It's pretty hard to start modifying team KPIs or OKRs without that exact level buy-in. You don't have the power to just go in and say, hey, team, we're going to modify your KPIs unless you have the power to do so. It's important to talk to teams to understand how they, the individual and the group, operate. It's crucial to developing the right path for them. Angelo Martelli mentioned some similar things on driving buy-in in his episode, in his four pillars of driving buy-in framework. Another common thread that Scott talked about is making failure an option. You can try to work with a domain, and and if it isn't working, it's okay to move on from that domain. You don't need to get everyone on board on day one or sharing their data on day one. If you design incentives well, people will want to participate eventually. Until then, it's okay to walk away from that team if it's just not working. Overall, you're going to get a lot of really good nuggets out of this one, and I think it's going to be very, very helpful for folks, especially ones that are stuck on that buy-in issue. Okay, enough of just me. Let's hear from our awesome guest in this interview episode. Very, very excited for this episode here today. I've got Scott Hawkins here, who is the principal data architect at ITV, which is a um, a broadcast company in the UK. It actually puts out a lot of really good content. If you're in the US, you can watch some some good stuff on uh, YouTube as well for that. I like eight out of 10, eight out of 10 cats does countdown. So I recommend that. That's a fun one. Um, but we're going to be talking about organizational challenges within data mesh and kind of in general, um, some good approaches to think about and and things like that, as well as kind of how that's interwoven into ITV's data mesh journey as well. So uh, with that as kind of the backdrop, Scott, if you don't mind, if you could give uh, people a little bit of a background as to yourself and kind of where you're coming at relative to data mesh, and then we can jump into the general topic at hand. Sure thing, Scott. Thanks very much. And I appreciate this is going to get quite strange calling each other Scott throughout this entire conversation. <laughs> it's going to get interesting. We'll, um, we'll just say Scott H. Oh, wait. Yeah. <laughs> oh, uh, yeah. Hey, everyone. My name's Scott Hawkins. I'm the Principal Data Architect for ITV, as uh, Mr. Hellman has kindly said. Um, I've been working with data systems since oh, 2001, 2002, maybe, in quite a while. I've had quite a bit of experience and exposure to different levels and different systems. Um, relatively new uh, to data mesh. Um, when I say relatively new, I was introduced to it in about 
2018 uh, by a old colleague uh, of mine called uh, Simon Ashdale, who um, pointed me towards the Martin Fowler article, um, uh, which is now getting notoriety around. And as part of my role, I've been helping ITV build out, establish, and transition into a data mesh-based organization. And I'm here to, to really here to talk through a few bits and pieces around organizations and organizational strategy and discuss a few of the key points of what uh, what challenges you might face and how you might be able to deal with it. Yeah, that's that's great. And and in general, I know technologists want a technology, but I think the organizational, the people process, this is the hardest part, but it's also in some ways it's the easiest part because it's it's like, hey, get people in a room together and talk and like actually share what you're trying to do and not try to manipulate them into doing what, what you want them to do. Um, but like, uh, you know, they're much, much, much easier said than done. So I'm really excited about this because there's this is the the stuff that keeps coming up and the people that I'm hearing are having success with data mesh are the ones who focus much more of the conversation around organizational rather than technology. And that organizational side is um, is, is so important in general. And, and I think, especially on data, one thing that I've noticed is that so many people are used to being sold to as the solution is via technology. The solution to their problems is this technology and the vendor has the idea and the blueprint. And so um, I, I think this is is really, really crucial. So um, lots of different places we could, we could jump into to start, but um, what do you think is the most useful when you're, you're thinking about talking about these organizational challenges? Is it kind of telling a little bit of the story as to how you guys all got started or is it, um, kind of pinpointing specific challenges, you know, getting driving buy-in or, you know, team alignment and, and reorg and things like that. What, what do you think is the most interesting thing to jump into first? I think the most interesting thing to jump into is the people and the environment and the culture of the company, because ultimately the culture of the organization and understanding how your company, what your company culture is like is critical to not just establishing data mesh well, but also getting the buy-in from the relevant people, I mean, your boss, your manager, your head of department, et cetera, to be able to get them on side to, be able to say, okay, yeah, this is the this is the right thing. This is the this is the way we should look at this. A lot of uh, a lot there's been a lot of talk in the community around quick fixes and how do we solve organizational issues as you mentioned two a minute ago the reality is there's no one there's no one size fits all here it's all subjective so there are things that I'll, I'll say that work in one situation but might be contrary in a totally different scenario so the old adage of asterisk it depends <laughs> is uh, it's going to be critical here yeah, your, your your mileage may vary, or I don't know if if uh, in other places it's your kilometrage may vary or whatever. But yeah. <laughs> um. So, yeah the the other thing that I I think a lot of people are might skip over a bit is what 
challenges does this solve? Because data mesh, saying, oh, I'm going to come in and we're going to implement data mesh, great. But how does how does that actually help the business? What do you do? What How does this change how the business works? How does this change how it approaches a potential problem? And ultimately, if you've got a good problem that you can solve using, and you can use data mesh as the mechanism to do it, then actually what you've you've almost got a little prepackaged sales kit in for your own company because you can say, hey, I've done this thing using this framework, and this is what this is the problem that it solved. And if any if anyone's thinking of oh we can do this a massive scale, think the smallest possible thing that you can do first. Yeah, almost prototype it and then sell it and then see where it goes. And if you've got a company culture that can recognize the success and recognize the delivery and recognize the potential benefit this can bring, then it will be picked up and it'll be carried forward by other people. And that's what you really want. You, As technologists, we rely on, we rely on a lot of the technology to kind of sell itself sometimes and but this being more of an organizational shift, you need to rely on other people in your organization to go forth and spread the good word of data mesh inside your organization. And that is an absolutely critical part of the success of data mesh. Right. And 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 I think it might help if, if you share a little bit about how you achieve some of that in ITV. You know, one of the big things that I'm doing with the podcast is talking to a, a fair number of people. So that way people can get you know, find these through lines as to what's successful, but also say, what is, what would work in my organization or what does uh, a similar organization look like? Um, and how could we approach that? Uh, I think just those, those through lines are very important, but also not locking on to this is the way, right? Exactly what you said of there isn't a, a canonical way to implement, especially when you think about organization. Yeah, sure. I can I can happily walk through a few bits and pieces. So it's probably good to give a, give yourself and the listeners a bit of a idea of ITV as a scale of an organization. ITV has uh, twenty thousand staff um, and owns many many studios and other companies all around the world producing content. Its primary headquarters in is in London, and there are multiple departments, each with their own technology team, technology functions, um, working as you would find in a in a really big company. Sometimes there's a degree of um, close cooperation and actual, but where different arms get on really well, but sometimes there's the degree of friction because there's a clash of ownership. Now, when ITV first came to the idea of data mesh, it was to solve a wider problem of we have five different departments in the organization that deal with our content, but they're all talking about our content in slightly different terms. So you would end up with effectively five different versions of the truth depending on who you who you spoke to, who you worked with. So there was a lot of work within the company at an organizational level to say, okay, how do we how do we look at this problem and how do we start to bring these threads, separate threads together in a way that 
we can start to say, right, this is the canonical source of truth. And ultimately, that is the that is one of the main threads that's been working within ITV. It's bringing in all of the disparate threads where we have commonality. So when we talk about who are our users, we may talk to um, our on-demand service, our interactive service, our audience service. Um, equally within the company itself, there'll be different groups that may talk about domain, effectively information domains in slightly different contexts. So uh, let's take uh, the schedule. Our broadcast schedule is uh, renowned, across, well, is across multiple channels, but we each have a different domain per channel. So that gives an idea of kind of scope. People look at those as, as one thing, as the schedule, but then equally, there are other departments that look at those as individual channel schedules. And we have to think, okay, how do we bring those together into a cohesive structure so that people can go, right, this is, when we say the schedule, the content, our viewers, etc. we have a single object, maybe not a fully cohesive object yet, but we're working towards that. And we can start to work from there and say, right, how did we... How do we build this? How do we build this from there? Um, I think to something I said a, a minute ago, a lot of that is bringing in, bringing in the groups who own, in inverted commas, those relevant local contexts together and saying, right, if we wanted to do this centrally, if we wanted to build out a common definition, what would it look like? What do you need it to do? And it's going out and working with those groups that we were able to say, okay, this is roughly the shape and the structure and the size and what we need to do to build our data product that will service these relevant stakeholders. And a lot of it was a lot of it was talking. I mean, we spent, uh, as one of my colleagues, uh, Lindsay Carter, will attest to, we spent probably in the first in the first month or so of talking about data mesh and bringing people on board. I think we must have spent nine, ten hours a day just whiteboarding with post-it notes. <laughs> Well, and and your approach sounds different than than a fair number of approaches, and I think this is where again, data mesh. It's it's what are you trying to solve, and what what is your org like? Because in a lot of thing, in a lot of places, what they're looking to do is just say, okay, all of those domains do own their own localized source of truth, and that that's fine, and that we just have to define that. Versus, kind of your approach is similar to the way Intuit has talked about their approach of kind of global, more global definitions. And you may have kind of a sub data product or whatever, when you think about the schedule that you may say, Hey, you know, here is the different sets of schedules, but that you have one place that you can go to that has those different schedules. And so you might have kind of different source aligned data products, primary data products or whatever people call them. Um, to feed into that more kind of bigger data product that that has that, but that people have a more much easier path to figure out what's going on, right? So like if they're not in that domain, they can figure out what is is going on and what what is happening. I've got a lot of different questions that we can go down, but like how have you found those people like or or how are you are you handling those 
different definitions across the different domains and getting them into the same room to try and come up with a global definition versus those kind of localized definitions? And, and do they feel like they're giving up control or how have you figured that out? So we've taken an approach of kind of lightweight decisions. So we've we've started to kind of collate information and define it just enough to get started, but not necessarily enough to say, this is the net, this is the now new source of truth. It's just enough to get a bit more of a bit more movement and a bit more definition and to give people and teams something to work on. And it's from there that we've kind of we've tried to basically build and iterate on individual uh effectively individual components across our stack to say this is um this is the this is the definition of a, of a user. As a, as a prime example, we started off with the absolute bare, bare bones basic of, okay, we need an ID. What What's the most common ID that everyone can relate to? Well, it was, a, it was this ID. We got everyone in a room. We said, are you okay with using this as our ID source of truth for everything else? And the, ultimately, the conversation off, came out the back of, Generally, yeah, most people were aligned. There were a few people who said, oh, hang on, I've got another system here that already has this type as a user ID. How do we transfer A to B and or compare A to B? And then we basically built out a built out a big mesh of IDs, key values, and we worked out how we can potentially sync things through. And then we spent a bit of time looking at those those different sets of data to work out, okay, are there corresponding users in both sides or actually are we looking at two completely non-overlapping data sets and there there are other conversations that have built up from that so okay how do we how do we potentially look at bringing all this together into a cohesive defined usable structure right that that interoperability it sounds like you're you're making sure that you don't go f- too far down a path without that interoperability so you can say well, you know, it doesn't really matter, at least in my view, what the domain itself calls a user, as long as people are referring to the same, like, if they are, if it is one specific person or household or whatever, that there is one specific reference to that, that everybody can use, and they, they can call it whatever they want, as long as other people can understand what that means, but that you you don't have these IDs that would refer to the same type of, of aspect, but that um, every single domain has their own system for it because it becomes chaos. You can't, you can't cross-correlate anything. Exactly, exactly. And, this, and part, of this is the, part of this is backed up by some of the work that other members of the team have done around bringing, identifying some of the domain owners from across the business and bringing them together in a in a way and giving them the in some case the impetus in some case it's the the desire to kind of come forward and say these are the problems that we're having how can we help by by building this out what problems of yours can we solve sometimes that's been um sometimes that's been let, let's have a look at some of your data quality issues sometimes that's been well we just want to do a bit of a miss a bit of a max a bit of a match between two separate data sets, those are the sorts of conversations and quick outcomes and deliverables that we've been able to do as part of 
almost phase one of building out data mesh objects or a data mesh based architecture. If you're looking to get that buy-in from a producer, is it that you're going to them and saying, this is a value, so please give us this? Or is it, hey, we're going to work with you first to make sure we're delivering you value. And it may be even value on your own data, but we're going to work with you to provide value first so that you're bought in. Or how, how are you driving that conversation? So in some cases, it's it's it depends. Realistically, <laughs> it's it's equally a bit of carrot and a bit of stick. So for some of our services, we've had to go in, we've gone in with a relatively senior group. We've worked with executives to get buy-in at a senior level so it filters down. But other times, myself, others in the teams have gone in and gone, okay, we're going to work with you to solve this one problem on a much more local one-to-one basis. And then we'll help you We'll help you. You help us. Great. And then we can work. We can work together to build this out and build this up, and um, effectively get to a point where we can deliver a successful piece of software and actually start having an impact on the things that you ma- that matter to you. And this is the point I want to stress something that came out of a conversation earlier around with one of our audience team around um, KPI management. And people's expectations <clears throat> of what, uh, how data mesh is going to change their world, and it's a really good under- good way to get an understanding of how people think is to look at what KPIs that they are driven by, because if they're driven by KPIs that are potentially in the opposite end of um, what you're looking at the problem that you're coming to them to potentially solve, you're not necessarily going to get the buy-in because you're trying to solve a problem that might not be related to where they're currently focused. So actually, if you can say, right, hey, Bob, I'm here to work on, I don't know, the the quality of, give you much better user information um, by evaluating all of your data and saying, this is how many users have said they live at one, two, three fake street so that you can go back to them and try and encourage them to give us better information so that you can then do other bits in the marketing, in the marketing space. That's a a beneficial thing to them because you've said, right, this is the, this is your KPI. This is what we're going to do. We're going to work together to kind of make them come together at some point. And then you'll have a successful delivery that directly affects the stakeholder that you're trying to work with. Plus, you can then also use them to say, or hopefully you will encourage them to go, okay, this data mesh thing, this works, this is delivered for us. How do we how do we go forth and expand onto other departments? Right. Well, and, and I think that KPI thing is is important as well when you think about the changing uh, a domain's attitude of uh, you know, if if the domain is measured on this one KPI, and even if you get senior buy-in, if their KPIs don't change, and what you're trying to go in doesn't align to those KPIs, you might get them bought in saying, "Yeah, we should be doing this," but I'm still not going to do it. Because- exactly, exactly. And this is 
this is where we start to talk about the the viability of things like data mesh and other technical disciplines or technical framework changes within an organization. Um, before the call, we were talking very briefly about how some of this relates to um, Scrum and Agile methodologies that have gone into companies. And you can often see where a company has done really well with Agile and Scrum and those kind of bits and pieces is because they've targeted the outcome that the folks at the top or folks in the middle management want to do. And they've actually worked really well. They've delivered for their product owner or they're delivered for the the owner that um, they're working towards. And data mesh has to be in the same sort of vein. Now, there's going to be a little twist here of your organization may not yet be ready for data mesh because it may not be ready to make the transition from having having someone actually own the data. And that's okay. That's okay. You can come to that position um, after after a while where you've worked out, okay, what is the what is the business ready to take ownership of? What are they ready to be accountable and responsible for? And how does that change potentially change the way they work? Right. And and I think that I, you know, I have people who call me a gatekeeper or whatever when I say, hey, startups, you shouldn't be doing data mesh because centralization has its benefits until it doesn't, right? Like if it's not causing a pain point, why try to fix it? And and centralization, you know, it, having worked uh, in around distributed system stuff for, you know, quite a while, it's one of those things where every kind of senior distributed systems engineer will tell you, don't distribute if you don't have to. Right? <laughs> like, yeah. It's, yeah. it's complexity for no benefit. And, and, why take on complexity if you don't need to? And so if it doesn't have a, a good return on investment, it, it's silly. So I, I think, how how have you thought about going into these teams and saying, we're, we're going to be adding more work on your, your plate? You know, how have you kind of combated that? Are you giving them more resources? Are you giving them the training to do it because th this is new for a lot of the teams. They're not used to thinking about how, how to share their data, especially how to share it in a CI CD manner. So like you talked about taking the, the, the stuff from scrum and agile, like how? <laughs> so in this case, within ITV, we've basically built out the principle of a team in a box and we've gone to people and gone, Hey, we've got additional resource available to help you solve your problem or help you solve your problem and then a few bits that we want you to solve as well or we need to get involved with. And actually, that principle has, has worked out really, really well so long as everyone has agreed that the, the team in the box are there to deliver not just what you want but what we want as well. So it's a, it's a mutually beneficial arrangement. Um, sometimes, and when I say team in a box, this can range from anything from one developer working on a key project to uh, a fully-fledged um, seven-plus man team or even maybe multiple teams. It depends on what is the most effective and most efficient way of getting to the outcome of building out a data mesh 
product and having the business adopt it and run it forward. Because if you're, if you don't go down that route, I would say, I would say nine times out of 10, I'd say kind of 50, 50, your resource will be taken and the will end up working on stuff that doesn't necessarily help you, but they'll just be taken off into the ether and you'll, you'll never see them again. Yeah, exactly. I, I think that, um, there's a certain muscle around that you've got to build around sharing data and they're, they're what I recommend for smaller companies that are looking at data mesh. One is to, you know, really, really think if data mesh is the right thing, or if you're just trying to get to a place where your domain teams are aware and cognizant of what they have to share and why, and that they don't have to put all of that effort in themselves. But um, there's a difference between starting from scratch as to, okay, how would we do this? And like uh, uh, an actual like continuing understanding of what you're sharing, why and how, and that you don't have to put the burden on the team. If you can take that burden away of them kind of inventing everything from scratch, you know, I talk about a lot of people have mentioned this stuff too, but like a through line that I'm seeing is blueprints and um, sensible default and things that that make it so somebody doesn't have to go, oh, my, you know, if my domain is super complicated, yeah, I need the help to figure out how to model it. But 80% of domains or 80% of your data products can kind of fit into pretty much a box. And so you kind of give them the box and you go, hey, this has like different slots for these five different attributes. If we need to change it, we will. But like, here's kind of the <laughs> the easy easy path. And yeah, well, how are you thinking about like actually making that viable? Because it's, it's again, it's easier said than done as to how do we just, how do we even identify what our uh, sensible defaults are and things like that? So we took the approach of common best practice from the start for underlying systems. So we'd look at things like CIS benchmarks or uh, recommendations from whatever your cloud provider's uh, security recommendations are. There's also um, things like Terraform templates and other bits and pieces you can bring in from a technical from a technical level to say, we are coming to the table with all these defaults built in. So things like good old things like encryption at rest and encryption at transit and whatever we build will be will adhere to the legal to the legal principles within the organization and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But you you can come to the table with that as a prepackaged baseline and say, whatever we build is going to be built on this structure, which is compliant to your to the company's requirements at the time. This is where you can then start to go, right, we already know that whatever we do is built to this base level, which is already hopefully a, a step up from where it might be, or it could be a step down. I don't, I don't know what the what your company might be like, but it's a progression in the direction of this is what we want to do. To your point earlier of a new company, a startup, one of the biggest challenges I've seen in my career so far is siloing within a siloing of domains away from away from other domains, and having the concept of a single open data platform or open access within reason. Um, to all the data in a company, you can start to encourage people to start poking at things and ask awkward questions of, all right, why why is this data structured in this way? 
why is this data why, why do we have two things that look really really similar but actually do totally different totally opposing things or equally why do we have two things that look totally different do the same thing right? and yeah. from that you can then start to ask right how do we how do we standardize how do we how do we work to improve this yeah i think and i think the open lines of communication and that people are are afraid of kind of the um, slippery slope, the opening Pandora's box and things like that about if we open ourselves up to these questions that I'll just have an unending slew of questions because historically it kind of has been that because the consumers just haven't, especially when it comes to data, data consumers haven't had the power. So if you kind of try and shift that to them or say, hey, we'll we'll answer all your questions, then there's just this huge deluge of, of requests and demands and things like that versus if we set it up right, we'll get people into the same room and talk about what's the sensible structure to move to where we need to be, but that there's sensibility around the speed and the uh, like what we're actually delivering. You know, um, there've been a lot of discussions in the community around, well, why don't we just make everything real time? And that it can serve real time, and that it can and it can also have transactional, and that it can have. And it's like your your cost of building these things, you know, cognitive load and and literal like technical cost and of maintaining it just explodes. So I, I think what you're talking about makes a heck of a lot of sense on that. Um, I mean, this is just just on that point. It's you want to do the least amount of work and the least amount of effort to deliver a product. Always, like if you do anything more, like, you're doing it wrong. Like, what's the least amount of work you can do to get to get something that's productized and shippable and actually solves the problems? After that, okay, you might incur a bit of technical debt. You might have to come back and revisit, but you've got something out there, and it's it, it gives you a chance to prove what you can do, what you can do and deliver. Don't don't let perfect be the enemy of done or good. Don't, uh, yeah, I, I think the, um, it's, it's just a common through line that's, that's coming out of the people who are, are finding these good things and take on technical debt consciously, right? Historically with data, we haven't had conscious technical debt. Agreed. You know, somebody mentioned that earlier, uh, in, in an earlier episode about it's been that things are very, very tied to our operational model and that there's, okay, this person's consuming it, but the producers have no idea that they're consuming it or why or how. And so there's this change, you know, breaks everything versus like, hey, we're going to work with you to help you understand what you're sharing and, and why people want it and how they're using it. But that you actually have that conscious understanding and that people aren't just copying your uh, operational model, your application model, and trying to consume from it instead of you having intentionality. Yeah. And this is one of the big this is one of the big shifts with most organizations that kind of look at data mesh because they will still think, oh, hang on, I've got my operational stuff over here and my analytical stuff over here doing almost diametrically opposed, with diametrically opposed requirements. With operational stuff, you're going to need high speed, really good throughput. They do all this bit, this fantastic stuff, low latency, small, small size of data. With the analytics, it's got to be. It's normally going to be slow. There's going to be extended timelines. It's going to be with those two things in mind. 
you almost have to go, okay, how, not necessarily how can I fulfill both simul- both kind of simultaneously, but how can I bring them a little bit nearer? So actually I can start to answer some of the real-time questions from the uh, real-time analyt- analytical questions from the operational services. Equally, from an operational perspective, how far back do I need to go to be useful to my users? Um, there's a famous one, I think, around Amazon, where if you're an Amazon customer, you can pretty much go back to the day you registered to look at all your orders. Now, from a from a technical domain, you'd look at that and go, why, why, why would you go back? Why would you want to go back to like, I don't know, 2005 to work out what book you ordered way back when that you might have lost in a house move? That's something that they've, they've decided. Okay, this is something. This is a requirement that we have. This is a product that we built. It fulfills both our operational and our analytics requirements, and is a good is a good balance between the two. Yeah, I I, I mean I've used that capability a few times. Like where well, I'll go back and be like, why did I order? You know, in 2011, have I read this book? Where it's like I, I ordered it physically and now it's on sale on Kindle or whatever. I'm like, have I read this book? It seems familiar, but I can't remember. And then even just little things like that, it's it's uh, amazing how um, useful those kind of one-off use cases can be. So, um, so you know, I guess one thing that that uh, I think a lot of people have a lot of questions on is again that driving that buy-in. So. If you were to kind of sum up how to go in, you've talked about, you know, a couple of different angles of going in and saying, we're going to help you solve a problem. You go in with the carrot kind of more than the the stick. And if you have a domain that's not that where you don't have a good carrot, is it to kind of go in at that high level and work with them to create a carrot or like there's just a lot of people that are feeling a lot of pushback from the application engineers, whether is that because they're probably trying to get the application engineers themselves to do it rather than <laughs> targeting at the um, domain owner level and, and doing that. Like, how, how do you think what would be anti-patterns that you would avoid? So in, in the example you've just given, absolutely, I'd look to go up a, high, a level higher and say almost to the, the managers or the product owners of the application, work with them to understand your requirements and see if you can get them to feed their data into your system. Going into the, the application developers themselves, they're gonna they're probably gonna ask, well, why do we why do we have to send this much data over to a secondary system? Why what's what's this? How does this benefit us? By going in at a level above and almost feeding feeding down, you can then hopefully get buy-in and get understanding from a more senior level as to why this is important to the business at large. You mentioned you mentioned a minute ago about working equally working with other members of management to create a carrot. That equally works. If you have a, I mentioned earlier about KPIs. If you know that there is a particular department that's focused on a KPI, and you say, right, let's change it up slightly. You know that this KPI may not be in the best interest of delivering some of the, the data mesh pieces. You can create. You can offer to create another one, and say, okay, does one affect the other? And if so, how can we transition from making one KPI to the, uh, being dominant to potentially the less dominant, more more equal? So actually, by increasing a second KPI, you can make both of them go up, and that has the overall 
overarching impact because it may be the second KPI is something that no one's thought of, but you think of because you're looking at it from a different angle. You're looking at it from a data angle rather than on operations or a service or a support or a purchasing or a another a another angle. Yeah, I, I found this in my own work from doing community stuff of going out and not saying, "Hey, um, I want you to to do a meetup." Right. Or I want you to, to be on the podcast. It's, hey, here are different opportunities. I want to work with you to meet your goals. Are your goals to be to just share knowledge? There are people who like to do that. There are people who want to be, you know, more well known and kind of create a brand around themselves and be kind of famous and things like that. And, you know, both of those are completely valid and po- totally okay and whatever. Like, I don't care. It's, and then what I do is I, I back into a way to try to meet their goals while also benefiting the broader community, right? And a, a lot of times people try and jump straight to the, here's what I want out of you because I've got you on a call. And that that's the old school sales way of, of dealing with things that just doesn't work in, in today's modern world. So it's like collaborative um collaborating to find something that is of value to both sides. I think it's it's an art. I, I, I'm I not very good at it at all outside of community stuff. Like when I try and do things commercially, it's like, oh yeah, uh, you want to, do you want to buy this? And they're like, well, not necessarily. And it's like, okay, that's fine. Like, how can I be helpful? And then it, it just doesn't necessarily transition into a, a sale, but I think that's that's an interesting approach. Do you have any tips on how to work through that? I would say the first thing I would say is it's okay to get things a little bit wrong. Mm-hmm. Like, don't don't beat yourself up if you if you get something wrong. I would equally say there is a point where you can work. With, it's a, it's a hybrid relationship where you can work with someone for a certain period of time, but if their goals detach from yours it's it's okay it's okay to back away it's okay to go yeah this isn't working for me anymore we'll go we'll go in a a different direction and that comes down to having a good engagement with your stakeholders because then you can have that conversation of well you guys are going off in this direction we want to go in this direction we've helped each other so far we've demonstrated our value we're going to go off and do this while you do this you know where we are. Let us know if we can help you in the future. Yeah. But at that point, you've built up a good bit of rapport with the people you're working with. And then with luck, they will come back to you and go, hey, we worked with you before on this amazing project and you delivered all this fantastic stuff. We've now got this other opportunity. Do you want to work with us? You can kind of treat them as a, as a you know, even if it's a, as a group, but treat them as people within that group instead of as a a source of whatever you want out of them, I, I think is is kind of what I'm extracting from what you just said of, of just like, hey, have these conversations and that it's not, if you're so focused on your outcome, you're going to end up not hitting your outcome because you're not listening. You're not communicating. You're not saying, hey, it's okay for us to not be collaborating on this right now if it's not the right time. There's an interesting thing that I've seen been quite a few different business management guides and various other bits and pieces around understanding your operational environment. Mm-hmm. And it's 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 that. It's understanding the environment that you work in. It's understanding the people that you work with. Because 
ultimately, you can create the best thing in the world. I mean, you can create, I don't know, an endless supply of energy, a teleporter, a, a, the USS Enterprise from Star Trek or something. But if people don't believe you and don't want to work with you, it's going to be really, really, really difficult for you to get that built and get it delivered. Yeah. So somebody said, uh, I think it was the the folks at Nav who said, you know, I can build a really, really great platform that the developers will not want to use. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, totally. So, um, well, Scott, Scott, this has been really great. Um, is there anything that we didn't cover that you wanted to cover or any advice that you'd have for folks that are kind of running up against organizational challenges? Is it just kind of pop to a higher level, do your homework or talk to people or what, what's the talk to people? Uh, just, just talk to people, talk to the people you work with, talk to the people that you're trying to influence, talk to the people they work with, try and get an understanding about how they operate and then work out if you can, if you can help them. If you get to a point where you're trying to influence someone and they aren't after a certain amount of time, they're just not working. It's okay to go, you know what? I'm going to stop here. I'm going to reassess and I'm pro probably going to look in a different direction. That's okay. That's not a failure. That's a point we've gone, I've got to my limit for the moment. I'll try again later. Or it's, I don't know, you might have the, um, it's the, I'm getting, I'm getting busy tones every time I, every time I call. Whereas actually it's the other person just got something else they want to deal with. Let them do their thing first and then. They know you're there. They'll come back to you if they want to. If they want to talk, but equally, it gives you an opportunity to go elsewhere and go. Yep, this is this is what I can do. This is what I can demonstrate. Yeah, I mean, there, there's value to some level of persistence, but it, it it is important to understand that it's and that it's not a failure, and it's especially not a personal failure if if it's if one thing one avenue isn't working out. So, well, again, Scott, this I think is going to help a lot of people. I think it's it's. Uh, there's a lot of really useful information in here, um, especially with somebody who's at a company that is more kind of that didn't over centralize that they is kind of uh, more decentralized and that um, folks can can really um, take a lot from from this if they're in that situation, but also to look at how different the situation is if they're in more of a, a centralized type of organization. But um, where can folks find you LinkedIn the best or wh where do you want people following up with you and what do you want them following up with you? About? So I'm, uh, I'm free for a bit of a chat on the data mesh Slack channel that you've lovingly curated, created and maintained. Um, equally I'm on LinkedIn. People can find me, um, just search Scott Hawkins ITV and nine times out of 10, I'll probably come up somewhere near the top and yeah, we'll, uh, yeah, happy to have a happy to have a bit of a chat. Happy to talk things through. Um, yeah, yeah, and I'll I'll drop the the link to your LinkedIn in the show notes. It's kind of hard to drop a link to somebody in a Slack appropriately, please. <laughs> yeah. Um, but no, th this has been so great. So thank you so much for taking the time, and thank you everybody for listening. I'd again like to thank my guest today, Scott Hawkins, the principal data architect at ITV. As per usual, you can find his contact information in the show notes. Hopefully that interview episode was really useful for you. Please do consider getting in touch with guests from the show, from these episodes. Most have said they'd really love 
people to reach out to them. And please, as well, if you've got a minute, rate and review the podcast somewhere. It really is honestly super helpful for other people looking into kind of data podcasts to kind of get this in front of them. Data Mesh Radio is again provided as a free community resource by Data Mesh Understanding. It's produced and hosted by me, Scott Herleman. In April of 2023, I left Data Stacks, who were wonderful in getting the Data Mesh community stuff started. So give them a shout for streaming and real-time AI needs. But I left to start my own industry analyst kind of information as a service firm. Our offerings are affordable and you can do them on a one-off or a month-to-month basis. You know, read kind of Throw it on the credit card. Don't worry about like going through purchasing and things like that. The services include lots of practitioner roundtables, you know, one-on-one data mesh kind of planning or feedback sessions and tailored introductions to other data mesh practitioners that are focused around your topics of interest. You know, what, what are you actually running into challenges with? We also have some free programs around introductions and roundtables that people can kind of check out as well. Check the show notes or just go to datameshunderstanding.com for more info or helpful resources. As always, if you have suggestions for guests or topics, please do get in touch as well. And have a wonderful rest of your day. Now let's hear that funky outro music.